This is RDQI. Hey, Dave, what, in your opinion at least, what makes a good city? Well, that is a loaded question. Um, I think, I don't know if it's one thing. I can almost guarantee you it's not one thing. The first thing I thought of as I'm looking at a map is I I saw Chicago. Obviously, that's the first city that I looked at, and I thought, well, of course, a good good, uh, street food, like a Chicago hot dog or Italian beef. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I think a little bit deeper than that. What <clears throat> what makes a, a good city? I think I think we need to understand what a good what we mean by good city. What what what's a? Well, I don't know. I mean, like a, when you're uh, if you had to move, let's say this, you had to move, and you couldn't live in Chicago, mm-hmm. you couldn't stay in Illinois, period. Even uh, what would you look for in a city to move to? Okay, well, that's a good, you know, I actually have some, some firsthand experience thinking about this because I, you know, I lived for a few years in the Czech Republic in Prague. And uh, honestly, by all accounts, it, I, I enjoyed living in that city far more than I enjoyed living in Chicago. Um, you know, and, and I ultimately came back to Chicago because of family, um, because, you know, my, my family is here and, you know, as as wonderful as it was living in Prague, it's you know do I do I want to chase the place or the or the people? And I think right. I mean yeah, the, ex- the answer was people, right? Yeah, the expat life that, is that, is difficult. Yeah, I, it's also a lot of fun for me at least. <laughs> but well, sure. I, yeah. I mean, for for whatever reason, if I had if I were in a situation where I had family like all over the world, you know, really spread out, or family closer there, I just never would have come back to Chicago. <laughs> um, and in fact, I I no longer live downtown. Um, I I live, you know really on the outskirts because I just don't really enjoy the city. And I think you and I have talked about this a number of times because I know you like Chicago a lot more than oh, I do. Oh, yeah. I oh, love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but to me, I, I think one of the biggest things was green space. Um, Prague, the city, even in the, you know, the downtown areas, integrated green space much more effectively, in my opinion, than, than Chicago or really than a lot of U.S. cities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like downtown Chicago, there's Millennium Park, which is, I, I don't know how you, by what definition of a park you can call Millennium Park <laughs> a park. There's just not a building. It's just a field. But there's still tons of stuff around there. I, you know, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> to me, no. a, a park integrates nature. It's not just a parking lot with grass. Right, because we've talked about this. Because a park in Chicago essentially is just the absence of a building. That's really all a park is. <laughs> yeah, there's not a building on this block. Let's call it a park. Yep. <laughs> all right. So green space is pretty is uh, valuable to you. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. What what else makes the livability of a city kind of work for you? Um, I think transport's a big thing. You know, Chicago is one of the few cities in America that has any kind of um, um, large 
public transit infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. most cities in the U.S. have have buses, but they're not really much very efficient. Sure, most people, if they can afford it, would use a car. Chicago is one of the few places that you, you wouldn't. But when you go to you know European cities, um, and the public transit is just so much more efficient and quick. Whereas, yeah. Chicago still takes a a really long time to go a pretty minimal distance. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, but I mean, case in point is I remember last time I was in Germany, I took a train and it wasn't even a long train, but the conductor made a point to get on, apologized to everyone that the train was going to be two minutes late and we were really sorry for the inconvenience this put on your work day. And uh, we hope you ride with us again in the future. Whereas two minutes late in Chicago is like on time, ahead of time, you know? So it's it's not that good. Man, German trains, they know how to get things organized. Um, Yeah, I hear you. I mean, Chicago is pretty good about the public transport. And that's one of the things I love the most about a good city is you don't, to me, a good city, you don't need to have a car. It could be nice to have a car. Like I had a, I had a car when I lived in Chicago, but um, a lot of times I preferred when I didn't have to use it. Like I'd rather take the blue line or the red line or you know a couple buses even to get to a location. So sitting on the train has always kind of been a little fun for me, actually. Much better than sitting you know <clears throat> in a parking lot in some highway somewhere. So I guess I mean the the two things that I just brought up though I think are. From really thinking about what a city is, you know, what the what a principle behind a city. I mean, they're pretty peripheral <clears throat> complaints that I have. Um, sure, sure, yeah. You know, and and there is um, that. Frankly, the ability to live where I live now, which is sort of on the outskirts of of downtown, there's a certain amount of of privilege inherent in that. Right. You know, I I do have to have a car out here to get around and things mm-hmm. are just much further apart. And there's no public transit to speak of. No, um, <laughs> no, there's, you know, <laughs> uh, cities have, you know, the the density of cities allows for much more affordable living, whereas here, you know, there, things aren't designed that way. Um, so it, it kind of is kind of selects out the people that can't afford to live outside of a city. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So I don't want to, you know, I just, like, I recognize that for many people growing up in, in around Chicago, like that's, that's their home and they, they're not going to be able to, to live outside of that. Which I think kind of brings up an interesting point about cities is there's such a a mix of so many different humans i mean obviously like i don't even know how we define a city exactly but you need first off you need a lot of people living close together i know that much right like you need density before you can even be considered a city um what else do you makes a city uh, like different than a town or a, a village or something like that I mean, I think it all stems from the density of people, <clears throat> right? I mean, if I think of what, what separates Chicago from, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, it's uh, much more cultural activity, right? You know, there's mm-hmm. art museums, history museums. Um, there's so many different venues for music, for theater, for 
comedy for art of any kind um, because there's a concentration of talent and there's also the concentration of people who enjoy that talent. Um, same thing with restaurants, right? I mean, you know, really good restaurants out in the, in the outskirts of, of, you know, metropolitan areas are few and far between. Whereas, you know, go downtown, like <laughs> you better know what you're getting into or you're not going to last very long. <laughs> like, right. You gotta yeah. be, you gotta be real tasty. Um, but I think that's sort of what, um, you know, what cities sort of were historically, right? I mean, you know, people coming together to, you know, live in close proximity to kind of multiply. Um, no, hang on. Let me <laughs> mm-hmm. scratch that part. So I think that's... That's sort of, I think it's worth considering what cities were originally intended for, or I guess what led to the creation of cities. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Yeah. You know, because I think human beings are, are, you know, inherently social creatures and we tend to gather together um, for a lot of different reasons, right? I mean, we talked about in the in the value series, we talked about division of labor um, and and the the multiplier effect that you can get when you when you have specialized roles within society. That you know, as you're doing this one role, you need other people to help you with the other necessity roles that you don't have time to. So it frees up. You know, if you, if you don't have to be making your own food, then you can concentrate on really getting good at at something else. Um, you know, making pottery, I think, was the example that we went through. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I I would think that, like, the the cultural multipliers were sort of a byproduct of city creation. I mean, I I mean, I would think that that cities were sort of created very practically, right? But the the multiplier impacts of of, um, progress and technological development, artistic development, you know, think of, of Florence, um, sure. in the Renaissance in Italy, or think of, uh, San Francisco and Silicon Valley and, in, in California today. Sure. You just happen to, to get this place where, you know, it, it, it just attracts all the best minds of this particular, you know, in Florence, it was, well, Florence, it was a lot of different things, but yeah. let's focus on art, right? <laughs> sure. <Yep. laughs> you know, some of the a, a huge, huge percentage of some of the most influential art names that we know today all grew up in or or you know worked in this same city at the same time period. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. crazy the the output that came from that, and that only came because you know all of these people sort of congregated together in this one place and really bounced ideas off right. each other and really just added on to the work of others. Yeah, I think that's such a critical aspect of a city is how uh, the density, like you get people next to each other, they're going to end up talking, right? You know, so if you show up to town and you think you're like the coolest potter around and you start talking to some people and realize actually, no, there's some good potters. And if you take a left down this street and then go right here, then you might run into those people. You know, all of a sudden you have this person who thinks they're a good potter meeting better potters and then exchanging ideas. 
right? So pottery somehow gets better out of all of this, right? That's the general concept. Yeah, it makes total sense to me because as far as I can, so I did a little reading as I want to do on the history of these concepts. And the city, I mean, it's funny. It depends who you talk to. If you talk to an archaeologist, a city is defined as X, Y, and Z. If you talk to an anthropologist, a city is de defined as A, B, and C. So it kind of depends on who you're reading <laughs> to define what a city is. But basically, what? 2,000, no, I think upwards of maybe even potentially 10,000 years ago from today, there have been human settlements that have numbered where the population has been in the tens of thousands. And depending on who you talk to, that's a city or it's not. So generally, let's just say this, kind of what I gathered from like the ancient side of things <clears throat> from that scholarship is that what really differentiates a city in terms of human history is that there's a point where there's people living who didn't have to farm. They literally did not have to produce any sort of food. And that's kind of what starts to create something that becomes a city. Because then you get these masses of people living together. Only some of them are actually in charge of making food. And some of them are in charge of being in charge of making food, right? So you have administration um, taking place. People's job is literally just to make sure other people do their jobs. And I think... When you get to that level of social complexity, I think that's when you start to be like, okay, these people were clearly living in cities. Sure, it may have only been 15,000 people or so, but let's be real. You know, 6,000 years ago, that's a lot of people, right? So I think, yeah, the division of labor is huge. The, the exchange of ideas, the fact that people do work that's purely, like it's not manual labor anymore. I think that all kind of, cultivates what we believe to be a city. And then because of that, what makes cities so influential in history is that they become power centers, right? Because all the resources are hoarded to the city. You know, all the grain comes in from the fields, from the farmers into the king's, let's say, granary. And then the king dispenses the grain, or at least that's kind of like how ancient Greece, ancient Rome, th those times generally worked. So all of a sudden, the city becomes not just a culturally important center, but a politically important center. And then, of course, human history takes off, and there's a lot of fighting, killing, and murdering. So I think there's great benefits that can come out of the city, but you could also see kind of the downside, the dirty side of it, too. You know, the economic inequality that can be evident in a city. Um, it's It can be pretty significant. So on one, on one face of the coin, it seems like a city is a is an ennobling place. It makes humanity better. It makes us civilized. We do our greatest work in cities. And then you look at other parts of that same city and be like, this is the worst of humanity. This is like <laughs> the case in point on how people can be terrible and atrocious to each other. And yet it seems to hold both of those things in one physical place. It's such a paradox in that way. You know, <clears throat> and I think about... I think about population density in cities um, and a lot of what makes European cities so, I would say on the whole, more efficient than U.S. cities in terms of um, equity of housing, transportation, food distribution, all of this. But really what makes that it, it doable is really just a, a controlled, not a, not a, uh, purposefully necessarily controlled population 
um, but just a lower population in general. And then contrast that with somebody, some place like Bangalore, you know, which has like eight, oh, yeah. I think like eight million people within the, the city. I mean, you know, I I actually worked with somebody um, who at one point had to go to a different office in Bangalore than he normally does. And he said he took it three hours one way. Oh, my goodness. Just across town. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that that is... Uh, we won't talk about why necessarily, but like it, it's just an inherently a, a failure of infrastructure to account for the, just the sheer volume of people. Um, and you have a lot of, a lot of negatives that go along with that. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, if there's anyone who's ever had to drive from one side of LA to the other, you, I mean, clearly different than Bangalore, but it can feel like it's going to take you three hours. And it's funny because I think, you know, the U.S. had an opportunity to, you know, it's almost like if Columbus had came to the U.S., or to the U.S., if Columbus did not come to the United States of America, if Columbus had sailed somehow like a hundred years earlier, you know, and most of the U.S. was founded and settled before the car existed, it's kind of like, man, I wonder if if it would be more train-centric, if it would be more centralized transport-centric. Or if it would still just ended up being, you know, the way that the U.S. approaches transportation, which is to be so reliant on the car. I kind of wonder. Man, if only we could, like... I would think so. Out of necessity, it would have... We would have had more more tracks laid. <clears throat> yeah, maybe, I guess. Because, what, the car was, like, 1890s when that first came around? Something like that? Something like that. And I know it wasn't the... Anyways, we digress. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think the... That's a that's another interesting point though that the technology and what's going on in a city and how greatly that changes the dynamic of a city. You know, I mean, like like let's take our hometown again, Chicago. the The river used to flow into Lake Michigan, right? But it was such a commercially viable city. There was so much money there that even though there was so much pollution going into the drinking water. Everyone was still so committed to the city that they're like, well, let's just reverse the flow of the river, <laughs> you know? So instead of being like, well, let's, you know, let's try and find a different way to sort our pollution problem, you know, let's not change the direction of a river. Like, no, everyone was so invested, so um, gaining from the system, right? There's plenty of people generating plenty of wealth for a lot of different people in Chicago at that time. Mm-hmm. And so no one's going to be like, yeah, we'll move the rail yards and the the hogs and the cattle somewhere else to some other city. Let's just go to Decatur. That'll be better. Like, no, no, no one did that. They're like, forget it. Let's just change the river around. So it's amazing how far humans will go to preserve and create their, you know, specialized environment to get what they want out of it. But it's also kind of a sign of like what they can do at the time. Well, I also think that technology is really going to impact the future of cities. And this is something that that I've been thinking about quite a bit because we've seen this in the numbers, at least, um, you know, in a city like Chicago. Uh, there's a housing prices outside of the, the city into the suburbs, into the countryside have really skyrocketed at a much higher rate than property within the city limits. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason for that is, you know, the the pandemic, I think, has shown two things. Number one, um, density is kind of your worst enemy with things like disease. <laughs> yep. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we all we all had to go through lockdown, but my lockdown out here was much nicer than in a, you know, twelve hundred <laughs> yeah. square foot apartment on the thirtieth floor of a high rise. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and prior to COVID, we were still under the impression that we did need this whole proximity thing to be a productive society. Um, but we quickly learned that we don't, you know, and there's some, there's some, you know, aspects of the economy that obviously don't, there's some aspects of the economy or some areas of the economy that, that are still pushing very hard that we do need proximity, like legacy banking, but like, you know, legacy banking is, I don't know. If you haven't seen the writing on the wall, (laughs) right. Their power is waning, um, mm-hmm. and and really the you know the more progressive industries out there are saying, look, there's there's very little need for actual physical proximity. We can be just as productive, if not more productive, virtually, and so many of the benefits of a city um, can be accomplished now via technology without it. Right? We we have created very sophisticated shipping um, supply chains that we don't necessarily need to be close in a city to get food. Often it's harder to get good food in a city than it is in a lot of other places. Um, you know, there's a farm down the street from my house. (laughs) Sure. Uh, You don't have that in the city. Uh, That's not true. That's not true. Now with the the green revolution in um, indoor farming, hydroponics, vertical grow, come on, you got plenty yeah, of warehouses in so Chicago. That are, that's okay. Yeah, I'm the, not going to fight the techn- you there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the technology there is well, okay. Yes, in the future probably. Right now, that it's too expensive to do on a on a grand scale. Like it's much more efficient to do that via farming and ship rather than doing it in a city hydroponically. Like the electricity needed to to pull that off is pretty but there's a but there's a ton of people working to bring that efficiency closer in line if not better yeah yeah i have a feeling there's a and there's a lot of it there's got to be a huge industry budding there anyways yeah keep going yeah so so the the you know cultural uh that that honestly was my biggest fear in moving outside of the city is just a lack of that cultural Mm -hmm. um proximity but uh i don't miss it i really don't because (laughs) all of the things that i really enjoy i can either do virtually or i can do where i am now um you know i haven't (sighs) really felt the need to go downtown for much of anything i'm so jealous of you if i had the ability to go to downtown (laughs) chicago i would be there like right now (laughs) <laughs> living in uh in sacramento which is a city right by every definition um to me it feels like a really big town that happens to have the state capital in it and there's a pretty cool little they call it the midtown area it's pretty fun but it's it, 
it reminds me more of Nashville when I went to college there than it reminds me of a city, if that makes sense. And I miss yeah. a big city. Uh, they're just the best. They're just the best. The hustle, but the I bustle, think, the getting right around, now, the art. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I, I can see right now. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to be in a big city right now. Because I, I obviously haven't experienced that post-pandemic. Not that we're out of the pandemic, by the way, but <laughs> we. it feels like we are at least. I think this is a pretty good kind of microcosm of, of what's going on right now, though. I mean... I yes, there are some people who just enjoy living in cities, whether out of necessity or not. Um, but I think there were a lot of people that lived in and around cities because they had to. And when you mm. don't have to anymore, sure, get out. Uh, I think there's a big cascading effect, right? I mean, the the reality is, you know, the I, the central business districts of any city you know, used to be filled with Fortune 500 real estate. Um, most of the time they would, well, actually I don't know what the what the percentage of leased versus owned. Regardless, that's some of the highest value real estate in any city. Mm-hmm. And most major companies are going to say, hey, you know, we would like to maintain some kind of presence down here, but certainly not at the price we were paying before. And we don't have to anymore. So if the real estate prices aren't coming down, we're leaving because we don't need this. This is not a business necessity. It's a business nicety now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I wonder, I wonder how those... that's going to shake out, though. You know, like are businesses, are they going to, you know, go all in, like for the, in the post-pandemic world and be like, man, I really want that. I want to impress a client at our building downtown. Or I really need these in-person meetings to push forward some progress on this project. Like, do you think that's, it's going to be just totally different calculus about how to assess those questions? Or do you think people are going to slowly kind of get back into what we would call something normal ish? No, 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 no. I think it'll be, I think it'll be across the board downsizing. I I think you're right. There still might be some, you know, we want a swanky office to, to really show off clients, but you know, (laughs) I know a lot of a lot of companies that have, you know, their one flagship swanky office and then a bunch of satellite offices where people just work that aren't nice at all. Those will go away. Those will disappear. Mm, And they'll focus all of their resources on the one kind of, you know, showy client office. But that's still I just it's going to bring down demand substantially, which is going to bring down prices for the central business district. So what is that going to do? What's the follow on impact to other businesses within, you know, that? So so think about Chicago's loop, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Chicago's yeah. central bis- business district um, is a ghost town outside of working hours. Nine yeah. To five. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Most restaurants close at four. Because they have no dinner, uh, they operate entirely off of the lunch rush. None of those restaurants have opened yet. Oh, have they not? Outside of like, I mean, of course they have. Michigan Avenue, the touristy places. Oh, okay, I gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's so. So I don't, I don't quite know what what this does to the city. Um, I can tell you that you know, just taking me personally. I I will I I work for you know a company that has significant um, presence downtown Chicago, 
prior to the pandemic, I was going downtown. Post-pandemic, I probably won't go down there very much. Maybe once in a while, but I, I mean, I could also probably say I'm not going downtown anymore and I would be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing would change. Sure. Yeah, but I don't think cities are going away, right? Like the city itself, that's not going to disappear. I think you're right. Um, but, but does the city, does the composition of the city and the function of a city and the infrastructure of a city, does that, does that fundamentally change when the city becomes more of a preference than a necessity? Okay, I'm hearing you. I think, and again, going back to your one of your first points, preference for some, not for all, right? But I don't think, let, let me put it to you this way. So I, you know, in preparation for this, you know, always doing some reading, some research in academia, seeing what smarter people than me are saying. And there was a, this Scientific American article that pulled uh, basically a meta study of a bunch of city data. Um, the cities were big American cities, some German cities, and some Chinese urban centers or cities. So, you know, not like a comprehensive list. It doesn't have a comprehensive makeup of all the different types of cities across the globe, right? So take that with a grain of salt, of course. But basically what they, the meta-analysis did, and when I say meta-analysis, I mean like, I don't know how much data they actually processed, but they were they were tracking like HIV, AIDS, um, data. They're tracking bus times. They're tra- you if you can think of something that you can like track in a city, they were analyzing this data basically. And what they found in general was mm-hmm. look, if you if a population of a city increases by 10%, you know, the infrastructure of that city will need to increase by 10%. You know, you'll need 10% more jobs. You'll need 10% more electrical infrastructure. You're probably going to need 10% more roads, you know, to some degree, right? Obviously, it's not going to be a straight line, linear, but it's pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty close to being a linear relationship. Now, what they found, though, was where there's multiplication effect, where other variables that I think most people would consider of prime importance. So things basically like, let's just take the easy one, wages, if a population grows by 10%, the wages don't go up by 10%. They go up, I think it was something like 15%. So a significant amount more. There's a multiplication factor. Um, same thing with, um, unfortunately, I think there's a similar pattern with crime. So the more people get together, there's a slightly something ahead of linear relationship that means crime is going to be a little bit more prevalent, which that makes sense to me. You get more people around each other, someone's going to, just find a way to take advantage of that situation. But basically what they're finding out is that, look, the city is not going anywhere. There is so much productivity gained by cities because of all these multiplica- multiplying effects that like individuals experience and gain benefits from, right? You know, more wages is generally a good thing, but also like cultures benefit from, you know, you have better hospitals in cities, you have better uh, educational institutions in cities. And these are yeah, huge generalities I'm throwing out here, obviously. But that's, a, broadly speaking, somewhat, there's a correlation. So I don't think the city's disappearing. And I think the city needs to exist because there's still so much benefit socially and economically that people are just going to be attracted to it. 
So I hear you. I think that cities are changing and will be changing because we're just thinking about life differently post pandemic and with you know the internet at our fingertips we're kind of scratching our heads and saying oh maybe we should reorganize you know some of these older systems these legacy systems like that word you introduced so i think it's changing but do you think that the cities i think what's going to be interesting to see which cities are proactive in changing and which cities reluctantly kind of changing 